made it very clear to us what is our identity, who, who are we in Christ, and then what does that mean? Like, how do we live that out very practically? How do we have victory in the areas of our lives that are struggle? How do we live the lives that we can look back on one day and say, you know what, I honor God with my one and only life. What does that look like? And so this book has been so rich. Today what we're going to do as we conclude is we're going to look at just 10 verses in chapter 6. And I, I want to set these uh, verses up to you with just kind of a little story, a little illustration, because particularly if you're new to church this morning, or maybe you're not very familiar with the scriptures, well, we're going to talk about a concept, really a reality, that might sound a little bit foreign to you. You might hear this and kind of go, wow, well, I've never heard this before. What is this talking about? And so I just want to tell you this, this little story to help give you a little bit of an on-ramp to help you process where we're going to be heading this morning, because it's so important, it's really throughout the scriptures. You know, my mom had told me about a day when she was growing up that she said she will never, she'll never forget. Uh, she told me that her mom woke up on this day in their home, and her mom woke up, and when she did, she was physically sick right away. And so she, she then went downstairs later that morning to wake up my mom's younger brother. And so she gets down there to wake him up, and she's trying to wake him up, and he's incredibly lethargic. He won't wake up. Finally, he does wake up, though. And as soon as he wakes up, he gets physically sick. Well, she begins to put two and two together by God's grace. And so she calls an ambulance, actually. And then so they come and like in the fire department for holding a hot dog. And, and sure enough, by the grace of God, she was able to put two and two together and realize that there was a carbon monoxide leak in their home. And so quietly, this odorless, you know, this, this gas that they couldn't see, Second by second that they were staying in this home, it was actually sucking the life out of each one of them. So that the authorities come and they get them out of the house and it's all taken care of and it's all good. But what we're going to be talking about this morning is actually much like what happened in my mom's home. There's something that goes underneath sometimes our radar. There's something that you don't see, sometimes you, know, you can't taste it, you, you know, it's not, not there, it's not in the physical realm. But it's something that's having an impact on every single one of us. This morning in the scriptures, we're going to talk about a very real battle. We're going to talk about a battle that the scriptures talk about over and over again. It's a very frequent thing in the scriptures. And it's a battle that's taking place that if we're not aware of it, it too will suck the life right out of us. We have an enemy, the scriptures are going to say, that would love to sideline your life. That he would love to come into the areas of your life that matter the most, and he would love to derail you. And his, his biggest threat is this, is that we would be the kind of people that would go through life without ever thinking anything of it. It's this unseen threat that's very, very real, though. And so let's jump into our text. Ephesians chapter 6, if you want to turn there or click there, I'm going to read the entire passage, and then we're going to work through it together. So let me start in verse 10. The Apostle Paul writes this, and, and remember this church, he's writing to this church that he deeply loves. He longs for them to flourish. It's a new church plant in a booming city. And he's longing for the gospel to take deep root in their hearts. And so he says this, finally, the end of his letter, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you may take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle, he says, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. Verse 13, therefore... Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to, everything to stand, verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith 
with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Verse 18, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. And always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given to me, so that I might fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might declare it fearlessly as I should. Pray with me. Lord, we simply just say now, would you speak to us? God, I pray that you would make us aware of something maybe that isn't on our radar this morning. God, I pray that this text would not only make sense to us, but God, we would be able to apply it to each and every area of our lives. Father, thank you that you know us this morning, that you've called us to be here, and Father, that you dearly love us, and that's why you give us your word. And so we say to you this morning, God, would you speak to us? We long to hear from you. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, as you know, we are right in the middle of football season, right? We are in the thick of football season. If it's Friday night, it's high school football. If it's Saturday, it's college football. If it's Sunday, it is NFL. And what's true is that thousands of players, every single week, what are they doing? They're getting suited up, and they're going out onto the field. They're putting on this kind of gear, and they're going out onto the field. And we know this about them. They're going on with equipment. They have equipment in mind when they go out onto the field. Now, I remember um, in, in playing football in, in middle school and high school, and, and what's true, and I think students would attest to this particularly, is that one of the, the very most exciting days of a football season is the day when the coach says, very early in the season, he says, hey, tomorrow we're going full pads. Now, what the coach means when he says that is this, is that tomorrow you better bring this stuff because tomorrow this whole sport is about to get real. Tomorrow, we're going to start hitting. Tomorrow, this thing is going to come to life. Now, imagine this, though. Imagine if your son came home and said, hey, mom, hey, dad, I can't wait for tomorrow. Because the coach said that tomorrow, we're going full pads. The coach said that tomorrow, we're flying fast. We're going to start hitting tomorrow. It's a big day for us. But then the coach mentioned this. The coach said only half of us were going to get equipment. Only half of us were going to get helmets. Now, at that point... It's likely that if you like your child, you would say something like this to them at this point. Are you going to get some? And the reason why you would ask that question is because not only do you care for their physical body, but you also care long-term for their, their mental state, right? And so you ask that question. And here's why it's so important. Nobody goes out onto the field without being fully equipped. Nobody does. The Apostle Paul is going to tell us this morning that, hey, if we're going to be in this battle that's very real, we better have some equipment on. Yesterday, I got to go to the Nebraska game with my daughter, and as we were on our way there, we pulled up to this police car. It had its lights on, and then we pulled up to three, um, three buses, coach buses, right? And, and then there was another police car in the front. And as we kind of pulled up, I realized, oh, as we went around them, I realized, oh, that's, that's Indiana. That's the football team. And, you know, we're kind of looking in the windows, you know, and Ashlyn says, man, that guy's sleeping. He's not ready, you know, and, and, and then, you know, we just kind of look at the players. But here's what I guarantee you. Not one of those players was thinking, you know what, I don't think I'll wear any of this today. You know what, I think the helmet is just a little too heavy. You know, the shoes, I really don't need them. No, 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 the pads, no. No, nobody was thinking that. Those guys were thinking, you know what, they wasn't going through their mind because every football player knows this. I got to have my equipment. I got to be good. I got to be good. I got to have, uh, you know, state-of-the-art helmets so that I don't get a head injury. I got to have pads so that I can hit. 
I got to have a pair of pants that's got pads in it all the way through. I got to have the right shoes. Why? Because I'm about to go into a, a battle. I, I need to be ready. I need to be suited up. Today, what we're going to see is this. How do you get suited up for this battle? What exactly does it look like? But first, think about this. What are the battlefields that you and I live in? Oftentimes, the battlefields that are the most real are the ones in the areas that are most important to us. Battlefields are marriages. Battlefields are young people's lives. Battlefields are people that are far away from God and an enemy that would say, I would love for them to stay far away from God. Battlefields happen in the local church. Let's just have a church that doesn't have a big mission. Let's just play it safe. That's a battlefield for a local church. Unity is something that we see as a battlefield. Think about cities. Think about nations. Think about our, our, the state of our world. People at odds, different people groups, completely at odds with each other. That's a battlefield. And I'm so thankful, church, for this text this morning because I think it's very, very easy to get locked into the physical world. And to think about this issue, and my spouse, and to think about my child, and to think about this and that, and all of the different issues, but to never really look under the hood and say, okay, what is some of the driving things that are going on that are causing some of the issues that you and I face? What's the entire picture? C.S. Lewis, he said it like this. He said, there are two dangers. He said, either you go down this road and you think that the devil is in charge of everything. And so if you don't get a parking spot, the devil is not happy with you that day, and the devil story at your parking spot. So, or you make financial decisions that you know are unwise, and then you bear the consequences, and you say, well, the devil made me do it, but you just acted unwisely, really. Now, the other ditch is this, and so C.S. Lewis says, you're going to go either down that one, and you're consumed by this, or he said, you'll go down this one, and this is the one where I think I'm more prone to fall down. It's this one. It's the ditch that doesn't acknowledge it enough. It's the ditch that realizes uh, or that maybe doesn't think enough about the spiritual realm and the, all the things that are going on in it. He says there's two ways that you can go. Today I want you to see this beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is a, a battle that is raging. But I also want you to see this. And you're going to see how God lays this out for us that we can be equipped for the battle. That, that nobody needs to go into the battle unarmed. No one at all. And the Apostle Paul, what he's going to say to us is, hey, what if? What if instead of just looking at the issue, what if instead of just thinking about the thought that keeps creeping into your mind that you know is not really rooted in truth, what if you didn't just camp on that thought, but you thought about the one that's maybe behind the thought? What if behind uh, this or that and whatever issue and the things that make the headlines, what, what if we looked actually underneath the hood and we said, okay, let's not just look at the issue, but let's look at what is behind the issue. Let's look at the real attack. Look with me at verse 10. Paul writes this. He says, finally, and, and now think about this. If you and I, if I was writing you a letter and I said at the very end of the letter, I said, hey, finally. It's important, right? I'm about to say something important. And so he says, hey, finally, don't, like, don't miss this. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord. And I love that. He's saying right out of the gate, guys, he's saying, hey, don't be strong in yourself, but be strong in the one. This isn't about you. Be strong in the one who gives you strength. Be strong in the Lord. And then he says, and in his mighty power. So that's the context. Hey, he says, finally, I want you to be strong, but don't be strong on your own. Be strong in the Lord, and then be strong in his mighty power. Now, that makes sense to us, particularly if we remember what we've read previously in the book of Ephesians. Keep in mind, Paul's already talked to us. He spent at least half of the book talking about this. He's saying, hey, I, you already know who you are. 
You already know when you stand strong in the Lord, when you stand firm in the Lord, he's already said to us, this is your identity when you do that, which is so important. He said to us, and this is so beautiful, he said, you are a chosen child of God. So you're not overlooked by God, not anyone here. You're not rejected by God. No, you're chosen by him. He says this about us, that we're completely forgiven, that by God's grace, you and I, when we stand before God one day, I won't give an account for my sin if my faith is in Jesus Christ. I am completely forgiven. He says that you've been given grace, so not just the first time, second time, third time. No, 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 but God's grace, it continues to pour over and over and over in your life. He says that you've been redeemed. I mean, think about that. What if you walked today knowing I've been redeemed by the living God? How would that change how you walk today? He says this about us. He says your identity, God has lavished his love on you. And then he says this at the end of, of one of these chapters. He says, I actually pray that the eyes of your heart might be opened so that you might be able to understand the love of God, which is actually beyond what you can even understand. It is that, that good. So that's our identity. And so now in that identity, Paul writes this, verse 11. He says, I want you to put on. Now notice that we do this, right? So we put on, action required on our part. He says, I want you to put on the full armor of God. And we're going to talk a little bit about that, what that means. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand. Now think about what that means. So that you can take your stand. You know what it means to take your stand. There's something not right at work, and you take your stand on an issue. There's something in our culture and that you just, you take your stand. You, you stand strong. You, no, 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 we're not doing that. No, this, this is where I'm at. You take your stand. You know what that means. He says, be strong in the Lord. He says, I, I want you to take your stand. Notice where he, he goes next. What are you taking your stand against? He says, you take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now, think about this. If somebody comes along, later today even, and they do you wrong, and that one instance of wrong is something, though, that you can figure out with this person, and you can work through it, and you can get over it, and eventually you can put the issue to bed, right? You know what I'm talking about? They did you wrong. It's an instance. It's over. But know what is taking place here, because it's not that, church. It says in here that the devil is scheming against us. When you scheme, think about what you do. When you scheme, you plot. When you scheme, you plan. When you scheme, you think about weaknesses. You find patterns. You, you know the history of the person that you're scheming against. And you know, hey, if I hit them in that area, they'll fall. Or if I discourage them in this, oh, it'll be over, game over. I'll win. When you scheme, it's at a whole nother level. The devil, it says, is scheming against us. Why does your husband, why does your wife get tempted in certain ways at certain times? Why is it that some of you feel still in bondage to the things that you have felt in bondage to for years? Why is it that our children go through some of the things that they go through? Why is it oftentimes that when you set your heart, when you set your plans, on doing something significant for the things of God, you face one roadblock after another. Why is it, guys, oftentimes, when you decide to take spiritual responsibility for leading in your homes, is it that you get this little whisper in your mind that says, you're not a good enough leader to do that? Why? Last Monday morning, I 
I got to watch the sunrise with our youngest son. He's nine years old, and so we sat out together in the cold, and we were looking over this field, and we are just waiting for this deer to walk by. Never happened, by the way. But he was so excited, nine. He woke up by himself, got bundled up, came to me, and said, can we go? It was early. I said, yeah, if you want to go, let's do it. So we went out to this field, and we're sitting there in the dark for an hour in silence, and we're just waiting for the sun you know, to rise and illuminate the ground. And, and we had seen that there's a, a probably pretty decent-sized buck in the area. We saw the tracks. We saw the markings on the tree. I mean, it's, it's clear something's in the area. And so what was our goal? Well, we were sitting there so that we could learn the patterns of this animal. We were sitting there, and we were paying attention to where we were sitting. We knew that the breeze was blowing this direction, and so that determined where we would sit. Uh, we knew that, okay, if we're going to be out of sight, we've got to get behind X, Y, and Z. We knew that, hey, even though you're nine and you want to talk and you want to shake your BB gun, it's not the time to do that. So we need to be quiet, right? And so we did all of these things. Why? What were we doing? We were scheming. We were plotting. We prepared. We'll prepare again. And we were doing that for a very specific reason. Church, I don't want you to miss this this morning. If you take away just one thing, know this. The Apostle Paul wants us to know that you and I live in a world that is very physical. But he wants us to know that underneath that, behind the scenes, that there are clever schemes of the evil. And the, e the enemy's greatest hope is this. The greatest hope of the enemy is that you'd walk away from here today and you just wouldn't think anything more of it. You wouldn't think anything of it. And you would just continue on with your life. And we're not told to be afraid of these schemes, but we're told to be equipped for them. We're told to, to be ready for them. In 1 Peter chapter 4, it says this about our enemy. It says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift, might lift you up in due time. Cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Verse 8. Be alert and of sober mind, your enemy, the devil, what does he do? He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The verse goes on to say, resist him. And then it says, stand firm in the faith. You see, you have an enemy. And again, I'm not trying to scare you this morning. But I think your tendency is probably much like mine. And I honestly don't think enough about these things. So we have a, a, an enemy that would love to sideline us. Yet at the same time, 1 John chapter 4, we have hope in this. It says, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Back to Ephesians 6. Look at verse 12. Paul writes this. For our struggle, and when you see that word struggle in the context there, it's referring to a fight. It's referring to like a wrestling match is implied there. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of, the e of evil in the heavenly realms. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever played an arcade game called Whack-A-Mole? Do you remember this game? I think we have a picture of it. Do you remember this game? I think it's one of the most frustrating games on the planet. And so what you do is this. Those little moles, like they creep up their little, little kind of freaky looking head, you know, and... And your job is to take that mallet and just pop them on the head. But the problem with the game is this. The moles never stop. 
They just keep coming. And so if you hit one, three will pop up. You hit another one, two will come up over in this area. And you just keep going and going and going. And you've got to ask this question. If you really want to solve the mole problem, you've got to ask the question, well, what's underneath it? What's at the source of it? And I think this is helpful for us. Think of the moles. When you go through your life, when you think of the attacks of the evil one, don't just stay focused on the moles. Don't just stay focused on this issue, on this person, on this, 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 all the tangible physical things. No. If you really want to solve the problem, you've got to look underneath the hood. You've got to get to the guts of it. You've got to do battle with the right enemy. I put this as a post-it note on my mirror for a season. I wrote this simple phrase, don't fight the wrong enemy, Jeff. Don't fight the wrong enemy. Pray, Jeff. Pray against the, the schemes of the evil one in your life, in the church's life. Don't fight the wrong enemy. Ask yourself the question this morning, are you so focused on certain issues or people or whatever in, in life that maybe you miss what's underneath them? Look where the Apostle Paul goes, the rest of this, this passage now, knowing that the enemy is there. I hope that that's becoming uh, clear in your mind, knowing that he's scheming. He's not just, it's not just a, a lackadaisical plot. No, no, he's scheming. Now the Apostle Paul is going to say this, in light of that, I want you to stand firm, which makes me ask the question, how? How do I walk in victory? Okay, in light of all this, if I'm not to be afraid, but I'm just to be equipped, how do I then walk in victory? How do I stand firm? How do I step into God's best? How do I continue to pursue things that honor God and bring him so much honor and glory, and I don't get sidetracked from those things? How do I stand firm and see the kingdom ball moved forward personally and in the life of our church and your companies and everything else? How do we do that? What I love about the second part of this passage is this. Paul's now going to give us, he's going to give us certain things. He's going to say that if, hey, every day you will do certain things, you'll put certain things in your life. Like he's going to say this, he's going to say, boy, my word is so important. He's going to say, you've got to remember who you are. What does it mean to be a chosen child of God? Your identity, that's important. He's going to say, okay, when, you're, when your faith is energized, that's going to be really helpful to you. And if each and every day you'll put on the right equipment, what will you do? He's going to say, you'll be able then, church, you'll be able to walk in victory. Look at verse 13. He says, therefore, so in light of this reality, I want you to put on. You Remember, so everybody, you choose this. This is, if this happens on Monday, it's because you choose to make it happen. There, therefore, I want you to put on the full armor of God. So it's not the armor of us. Now, when we think armor, I think obviously football, we can understand that pretty easily. We can understand a modern-day soldier, what they look like. For these guys, when Apostle Paul says, put on the full armor of God, uh, this would have had a very clear picture in their minds. A Roman soldier had armor that would have weighed about 70 pounds. The Apostle Paul, we know this, when, when he was writing to us, when he wrote the books of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, in all of those instances, he was actually in prison. And so either he's chained to a Roman soldier or he's got one just around the corner or standing right next to him. And so he's got this imagery in his mind when he says put on the full armor of God. He knew exactly what he was looking at and he knew, okay, each piece I can, I can, help, I can help my church understand, okay, what do they need to be equipped in each and every day? Therefore, put on the full armor of God. Why? So that you, so that when, not if, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after 
you have done everything to stand. Verse 14. Stand firm then. And look at how many times he says that. Everybody know this. There is no defeat language in here. It's not in the cards. Because remember, you're not standing in your strength. I think that would be, you would be easily led to think, oh, I'm going to be defeated. But you're standing in the strength of God here. So he says, stand firm. And then here, he says, with with a belt of truth buckled around your waist. Now, for a Roman soldier, the, the belt was very important because the belt did this. The belt held everything else together. The belt kept everything tied together. And so imagine this. We're going to go through these different pieces, but there's a sword, the, the, you know, the sword hooked onto the belt. There's a breastplate. There's a tunic. Everything, that the, the, the belt of truth was central. You have to ask yourself the question, is this book central to your life? Is this good news to you? Like when you read this, and, and there are days when you'll read God's word and nothing will jump off the page, but then there'll be a day when you'll read this, and I think this happens more times than not when you make this a habit, that you'll read God's word and you'll be so glad that you did. Even this morning for me, I was like, oh, I'm so glad I read today. I felt rushed, but I read, and you know what? Something was in there and it just jumps off the page. Is God's word a delight? Psalm 119 says, your statutes are my delight. They are my counselors. Paul wants us to know, you've got to put on a belt of truth, and it's got to surround you. Are you surrounded with the truth of God? Does it direct you? And then he says this, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. So the breastplate, think of this big plate that a Roman soldier would have. It was heavy. What did it protect protected your vitals right and he says you got to put that on and then he says um the breastplate of righteousness second corinthians chapter five it says god made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might have the righteousness of god in other words paul is saying this when you put on the breastplate i want you to remember that when you're in christ you have put on not your righteousness but the righteousness of your god and that's a big deal. It's huge. Verse 15, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. As you go through these, and I'd encourage you to study these in more detail on your own, but what you're going to notice is this, that they all are results of the gospel. That when Jesus becomes your leader, your salvation is real. The, the peace of God in your life is real. Your righteousness isn't your, about your righteousness. It's about God's righteousness that, that's been imparted to you. Look at verse 16. He says, in addition to all of this, I want you to take up. So not, I don't want you to put it on now. I want you to take a hold of something now. I want you to take up, grab this. I want you to take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Have you ever noticed that when your faith is energized, it's hard to knock you down? Have you ever noticed that when you're listening to the truths of God, it's hard to push you back? Take up the shield of faith. And then he says, verse 17, take the helmet of salvation. So I want you to, he's saying, I want you to protect your mind now. And then the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We have these cards actually for you in the, in the back in the hallway. We have these available a lot of times. And it just says battle ready at the top. And then it says overpowering the lies we believe with the truth of God's word. And so you get down the list of this card and there's a lot, there's lies here on the left. And, and then on the right, it's the truth of God's word. So when I look at a lie like this, God can't forgive me. Okay, what's the truth behind that? What's the truth that overcomes that? 
God isn't with me? That's a lie. What's the truth? Joy is out of reach? Well, that's a lie. What's the truth? And so what the Apostle Paul is saying, though, is this. I want you to have the sword of spirit, but I, I want you to have the word of God. That, that, that's going to be an offensive weapon for you. It's so important in your life. Look at verse 18. And then he says, and, and I want you to pray in the spirit on all occasions. So I don't want you just to pray one time during your day. No, no. He's saying, I want you to pray on all occasions. I thought of it this week like this. Coach your life in prayer. Coat your life. So as you're going through your day, coat it in prayer. Conversations that you're in the middle of a conversation, you can be praying. What are you doing? You're inviting the presence of God because there's a, a, an enemy that would love to derail you, whether it's in that conversation or something even bigger in your life. You're aware of that. And so you're inviting God into every aspect of your life. Pray in the Spirit, he says, on all occasions. And then he says, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, he says, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. I can't say it louder or clearer. The power of prayer is so real. Church, are you a praying church? Are you a praying person? Are you going to battle for your children, for your grandchildren, for the children in this church? He says, I want you to pray on all occasions. Verse 19. And this is neat because he... He just applies it to his life now. He says, and pray also for me, like I'm in the fight. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, he says, words may be given to me so that I might fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. I love this. Paul applies this to his life, and he says, Lord, I'm about to speak up for you, and so I've, I've, got to, I've got to know, I've got to have people praying for me, because I'm going to get some lies whispered into my mind of, no, you shouldn't say that, no, you shouldn't care about that person, no, you shouldn't be bold, no, the gospel isn't important, you should just keep it to yourself. That's the Apostle Paul, and he knows that, and so he says, would you pray for me? Pray for me that when I speak, words would be given to me, that I would have power, that I would make known the gospel, and I would do it so fearlessly. Let me ask you a question. If you could have just one piece of the armor, if you could walk out of here and be confident of just one piece, which piece would you choose? Would you choose the helmet? Would you choose the breastplate of righteousness? Would you choose that sword, the word of God? Would you choose your feet fitted with readiness to take the gospel? Well, what would you choose? Just one thing. Everybody know this. Apostle Paul the goodness of, and the grace of God says, you don't have to make that choice. Every single part is available to you and to me. Everything. The Lord says, out of my love for you, this battle is real. Yes, it is real. But I want you to know, you can be fully equipped to have victory. You don't need to be afraid of the enemy, but you do need to be equipped for the battle. The battle is raging, but I want to equip you so that you can stand and stand firm. I love this. You know, we're going to close with a song today. It's called um, Surrounded. And there's a, this line in the this song, and I, I just want to explain this to you because I think it will have more meaning as we sing this. But there's a line in the song that it says this. It says, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. And you know what that is? That's a reference to an Old Testament story. And I want to tell you about this because I think, again, it makes this all the more significant. If we look back at 2 Kings chapter 6 in the scriptures, we see that Elisha was a man that lived with the knowledge of the unseen. 
He understood that there was a, a spiritual realm. And so what's happening in this 2 Kings chapter 6 is that there's two nations. There's Aram and then there's Israel and they're, they're in battle against each other. And Aram is, you know, trying to take ground, but God is supernaturally working through this prophet named Elisha. And the king of Aram, though, finds out about this. And so he sends all of these horses and, and all of these chariots to surround Elisha. And it's a big deal. And Elisha's prophet, or Elisha's helper, his servant, actually sees all of this happening. I mean, imagine this unfolding. You got two nations coming together. You got a king that realizes this is all coming from the blessing that God's doing through the life of Elisha. And so he sends all these troops to, to defeat, and, and the servant of Elisha, he's about to lose it. He's having a panic attack. And then it says this in the middle of it. It says, verse 16, it says, don't be afraid, the prophet answered, says to the servant. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then it says, and Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, my servant. Lord, open his eyes that he might see. And then it says that the Lord opened the eyes of the servant, and he looked, and he saw on the fields, imagine this, he saw that on the hills that they were full of horses, and they were full of chariots of fire, and they were all around Elisha. Imagine that. Imagine trying to get in the mind of the servant. In that moment, the servant would have realized there is more going on here than I see. And Elisha was confident of Elisha knew that, God, you are with us. And the Apostle Paul wants us to know this, that there is a battle, and it's a real battle, and it's waging war against your soul and my soul and the next generation's souls. But it's also true that when we stand in Christ, we can look around, and we can be confident, and we can walk in victory because God says, I can equip you for that battle, but you've got to put the stuff on. I want you to know you're on the winning team, but you need to not be ignorant of the battle that you're in. And so go to war every day. Go to war against the enemy. But do it in the mindset of I am victorious in Christ, my Savior. You have the righteousness of God. You have been redeemed, church. You have been chosen by God. And the Apostle Paul wants us to know, yes, you're in a battle. But the victory is won. The victory is won. There will be a day when that victory will come to fulfillment. But for now, we battle. But God says, hey, I have equipped you for the battle so that you can stand firm. So this morning, let's close and let's pray. And then we're going to sing this song together. But let's pray that God would even just remind us that he is with us. Let's pray with me. Father, I love that picture of Elisha. Lord, I love getting in the mind or trying to of that servant when you opened his eyes and he began to see there is more than I so, Father, I pray for the person this morning that's in the middle of a battle. God, I pray that we would begin to look beyond the issue or the person, the tactic. I pray that we begin to look at what's underneath the hood, what are the guts of the machine. And God, I pray that you would help us to see that we have an enemy that is alive and well, and he would love to derail us. And so, God, this morning, your church says this. We proclaim we will stand firm, but not alone. God, we will stand firm in the strength that you provide. God, we will let your truth surround our souls. God, we will pray that our faith will be energized. God, we will remember our salvation, who we are in Christ. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you that not only do you care enough to bless us, but you care enough to tell us about the things that could derail us.